Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about ourselves. You know, every once in a while, I like to focus back to us. And today, I want to talk to you about how do we not pass our fears onto our kids? And initially, when I thought about this topic, it was more about how we we kind of carry our own anxiety themes and how our own worries and how sometimes our kids don't carry those themes. Sometimes they're not worried about the things that we're worried about. But then as I was thinking about what I was going to talk about today, I realized that there's another bigger layer to this. And that is that the climate of the global pandemic, the political climate, there's a lot of unrest, uncertainty, unknown. And how do we not pass those fears as well to our kids? So one intention blended into the other. And I think I'll cover both. So I'll talk first about just general stuff, you know, the world in general and how how you're doing and how you're handling it and how we can do okay for our kids and still not be okay. So I want to talk about that first, but then I am going to go into your own anxiety themes, your own anxious fears and how do you how do you separate those out and not put your own themes onto your child? And the last thing I want to talk about is when your child's anxiety themes make you anxious, how do we not exacerbate the issue because we're getting revved up based on their anxiety and then we are actually just kind of spinning out of control with them instead of being an anchor. So those are three different topics that are a little bit different, but kind of all interweave together. Okay. So let's dive into the first aspect of this, which is how's it going? (laughs) How are you doing? I have felt my anxiety really rev up in the last eight months since all of this has started to happen. Um, Just the unrest in general in society and also, you know, the pandemic and the, just the major shifts in initially worrying about, you know, are we going to be able to survive this? What if we get it to our world looks different now and my kids are wearing masks and we have to take all these precautions and it's a lot And it's a lot because it's very polarizing. And so there are, you know, you're in this camp or you're in that camp. And I think that the pandemic and politics have like smooshed together, which causes even more strife. So without going into belief systems, how do you handle all of that uncertainty and discomfort that it brings, regardless of where you're coming from in your beliefs? And that's hard. I know for myself, I was feeling very anxious and I went to the doctor for a physical and she was like, "Wow, your heart is a very anxious heart. (laughs) It like, it decides to have an extra beat every once in a while. And I have gone to the cardiologist and I have checked it out and it's, it's okay. It's not going to hurt me. But the way that she described it as like an anxious heart, it kind of made me realize that sometimes that extra beating that goes on in my heart is directly correlated to my stress. I was fasting for the appointment. So I think that that's why it was really bad. But then I started to pay attention to it recently. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my heart is a little bit out of control. 
And it's one of those physical markers that lets me know that maybe I'm a little overwhelmed. So what are your physical markers? How do you know? How does your body convey to you that maybe you're not doing really that well? And it's okay. You don't have to be doing great because it's understandable that you're not. But we want to anchor ourselves so that we can be an anchor for our kids. And that will look different for each person. But it is important that we don't convey our anxious beliefs to our kids regarding any of this. So it means being much more aware of what you're talking about with your friends or your partner, with your kids in the house. Kids listen. And especially right now when the world is a little bit more unstable than it ever has before, kids listen because they look up to you, even if they don't seem like they do. And they they emulate what you believe. And if you're constantly voicing your concern. And I hear this in some of my therapy sessions where parents will talk in front of their kids about their own anxieties. I mean, they're not voicing it like it's an anxiety, but the way that it sounds is very alarming where even me as a therapist sitting there listening to the parent, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, that's, you're very, you're bringing a lot of anxious thoughts over here. So it is important to compartmentalize on some level around your kids and find your own outlet, whether that's physical or doing something or having your own way of grounding yourself. One way that I always ground myself in these really crazy times, and then we'll move on to anxiety. But one thing that I'm, I try to do to ground myself, which I've been trying to do a little bit more lately, is I focus on what's going on in my house. So I focus on, okay, right now, knock on wood, we are all healthy right now. And you know, none of us have any pre-existing conditions that we know of that will really cause a major problem if we were to get sick. And right now we're doing okay. You know, like our world is okay. And focusing on the things that I can control and the things that are going well, it does ground me and it does help me stay day to day and not get lost too far down in the what ifs of tomorrow. You have to find your thing and what works for you. But we have to do it for our kids because When I'm operating from an anxious baseline, I'm very short-tempered with my kids. I don't have the space or energy to deal with their anxiety and OCD. And I'm also kind of giving them these thoughts because it's oozing out of me. So it is good to definitely be more cognizant about that so that you take care of yourself. And we also are taking care of our kids. Okay. That wasn't the main thing I wanted to focus on today, but it came up when I was taking a shower. I was like, well, I can't do this episode and not talk about like the global pandemic and the uncertainty, uh, the political unrest and all of that. Like I have to address that as well. But moving on to my, a better, more favorite topic is our own anxiety themes and how do we project that onto our kids? And that's more of a question long-term, which is when, when your child is having a situation, do you see it from your own perspective, from your own skewed perspective, where you think that they're having a problem because it would be a problem for you, or are you seeing it from their perspective? And I, I do really believe that we have an emotional intelligence where some people are much more able to put themselves in other people's shoes and imagine what it feels like for them than some other people. I think some people just don't have the ability to put themselves in someone else's shoes. So they see everything from their perspective. 
a lot of times when I have both parents in a therapy session, I'll see like, and a lot of times, and this is a stereotype, so it's definitely not an all of the time situation, but a lot of times the male partner will see things, he'll relate things only from his perspective. Now, not always, you have some really emotionally intelligent men. And so it's not an all or nothing, but a lot of times I'll see that that partner is only seeing their child through their eyes, their struggles and their childhood. And they'll say a lot of stuff like, yeah, I know when I was a kid, I did it. Or when I was a kid, I did it. And there's no reflection about their child and how they're feeling and what things might be hard for them separate from when you were a kid and your childhood. And I don't feel like that's um, necessarily like an egocentric, like narcissistic perspective, although sometimes it can be, but I actually think it's a wiring thing too. Like I have noticed that some people are just able to do that, to like get into someone else's shoes really easily while other people like literally can't. And I see that with my kids, my youngest daughter, she can put herself in anyone else's shoes. Like she's very empathetic to the point where she She can read a room. She can read people. She can imagine what it would be like. She can empathize and say, oh my gosh, I bet that was really hard for you. And my other two can't do that nearly as much, you know, and they have their own strengths that are different. I think that's really interesting. So you may not be able to separate out your anxiety and your struggles from your child's. And I'll give you an example, like a concrete example of when I haven't been able to do this to show you what I'm talking about. So we're not living in the world of abstracts. I hate that. So when online school moved back to in-person school a few months ago, my kids were, they were going to go to a new school and there was a new neighborhood popped up. And so we got rezoned for a new school. And I was very anxious for my son to go to school because he's a very quirky kid. And socially he's often been isolated and um, he's just, he go he's, he just does things differently. You know, he's just very quirky. I don't know how else to describe him. He's just quirky. And boys in general, like athletic boys, your typical boy, they're not going to necessarily like him. You know, he is, uh, he's different. He's not athletic. He's an out, out of the box thinker and he's got to find his ilk. He's got to find someone who's very similar to him. And that's hard to do. And I really worry about him getting picked on. So I had all these worries about him going back to school because he hadn't been in person. He had been doing Zoom for, I don't know, a few months when school started. And so it like wasn't an opportunity for him to really like get to know his peers. And he knew a sprinkle of people because like our neighborhood got rezoned for this new school. So it wasn't like all new people, but I was worried about it. And I had asked both my little people, I had asked all three of my kids if they wanted to go back in person or they wanted to stay online because I was okay with either way because all three of them, I felt like were really hurting mentally by being so isolated. And my son especially was really struggling. So when he went back to school, I was really concerned. And I said like, and he looked nervous too. And I assumed he was nervous because I was seeing it from my lens. I was seeing it from my social anxiety lens. And so I was concerned that he was worried about not having friends. I was worried that he was concerned about who he'd play with at recess. I was concerned that he was worried about who he would eat with, who he would talk to, would the kids make fun of him? And those were all my issues. Like, that's me. That's what I would worry about. But then when I asked him, because he looked nervous, but he said he wasn't because that's, that's what he does. Eventually he said, 
Well, I was a little anxious and I said, yeah, I know it could be really anxiety producing thinking like I know exactly what would make me nervous and assuming that would make you nervous too. And I said, what was the, what was the scariest part about going back to school? And he was like, well, I didn't know what my teachers were going to be like. And, you know, I was hoping that like the work wouldn't be hard and that we wouldn't get too much work sent home. And I was like, really? (laughs) Is that what you're worried about? Because that seems so far from what he should be worrying about in my anxious brain. And he genuinely was not worried about that because I would circle around afterwards the last, you know, couple of months and I'll say, how did it go? And he was able to make a friend, which was amazing. And to me, like a miracle, he met a boy who was very similar to him and they hang out and that's who he plays with that recess some of the time. And, you know, that settled my heart, I guess, literally. And sometimes I'll say, Hey, what did you do at recess? And he'll say, Oh, I just like sat there or I just walked around and I'll say, well, what about blah, 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 his friend? He was playing tetherball. And I was like, well, why weren't you playing tetherball? You know, cause again, it's my social anxiety. I worry about him being isolated and alone and feeling different. I don't think he thinks about these things. And he said, well, I played tetherball a couple of times and I got hit in the face. So I don't like tetherball anymore. And he did get hit in the face. I remember that. And so I didn't say anything to him because he seemed fine with it. You know, his friend wanted to go play tetherball. He didn't want to, and he was fine. He just sat there. So those are my issues. When you're worried about your child having a struggle, you want to ask yourself, is this in their theme? Or is this something that I get nervous about? Is this a worry that's a me worry? Or is it a worry that is my child's worry? And it may be both, but it might just be yours. You have to have that awareness to observe yourself and observe your own thoughts and know yourself and know your anxiety themes to be able to recognize whether you're projecting those onto your kids. I'll give you another example because I love examples. So my eight, no, she's nine now. So my nine-year-old is developing this new thing, which is really, oh my gosh, both of my kids are doing this, where they have this like faint response to blood issues or getting hurt. There's a fancy word for it, and I'm probably going to mispronounce it. Kind of like a vasovagal attack, like a vasovagal syncope, syncope, syncope. Syncope? I think it's syncope. Anyway, it just means that they can't handle the sight of blood and they're going to faint. And it has kind of evolved for my nine-year-old where she has that even if she gets hurt and she thinks that she's broken a bone or that she might have to go to the hospital because she had an infection and she had to go to the hospital like back in March unrelated to COVID and she had to get an IV, which really upset her. And so I think she has this whole like story in her head. Anyway, that's not what this episode is about. So she fell off her bike like um, maybe like two months ago and she bruised her shin and in the middle of the street, she like couldn't get up and everything started to go black and she was like about to pass out. And so my husband, who actually luckily happened to be with me at the time, had to carry her home and the bruise was, you know, it was a bad bruise, but it wasn't like that big of a deal. It was a bigger concern that she had such an anxiety attack reaction to it that she almost passed out. So I had to have her like put her head between her knees and like, you know, get her to to be okay again. So I thought that was kind of a one-off thing. And I actually had this myself now that I think about it. When I was in high school, they were showing a video in health class on heart attacks. And the idea of it was making me so panicky and nauseous that I got up to go to the bathroom and I passed out in the hall. (laughs) 
So uh, apparently the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And so my older daughter recently, well, not recently, I think this was last year, had to get her blood taken and she passed out and she started to like seize or whatever. But now that I read the symptoms of it, it was definitely that, although she denies that and thinks that she has a medical issue. But my nine-year-old, there is a point to my story, (laughs) stick with me. My nine-year-old fell off her bike again a few days ago. And I wasn't out there this time. I was like in the front yard and she got really overwhelmed and really panicky. And she came in and she looked really pale and clammy. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to pass out. And so my anxiety was triggered by her, you know, so I was feeding off of her anxiety. So I had her lay down on the couch and I got her some ice, you know, and I propped up her legs just so that she could like, I don't know, that's what they say you should do get her blood flowing, get her legs higher than her heart. But I was feeling really nervous. So I had to really pretend like I was okay because I was really nervous that she was going to pass out, even though like, okay, so if she passes out then she'll wake up, she'll be fine. The idea of it was too much. And so I had to pretend like you're fine. It's okay. You know, it's okay. You know, and distract her and talk about something else, even though in my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to pass out. She looks so pale. She's getting clammy. Her eyes are doing something weird. So be aware of that. Be aware of your interactions with your child, whether it's your own anxiety theme or they're triggering you based on their anxiety theme. They're both are really important. A final example is taking actions that help reduce your anxiety, but really could be holding your kids back. So I see a lot of parents who definitely have anxiety themselves and I'm treating their kids. And I am one of those people too. So I'm talking about myself too, where we do things for our own anxiety, but sometimes we're either modeling some unhealthy coping mechanisms to our kids or we're doing it to them. And so I remember one time, this was probably about like 15 years ago in my practice, I had a little boy that came to see me and he was probably like five at the time. And his hands were completely red and chapped. And I was like, oh, does he wash his hands a lot? And I was looking at OCD because, you know, you don't normally see a five-year-old with kind of those classic OCD hands. Nowadays, it's hard to tell because everybody's washing their hands so much. But this is back in the day when like we didn't do that. And so I started to talk to the mom and I was like, how often does he wash his hands? And she was like, oh, I wash his hands all the time. I wash them throughout the day when I feel like they might be dirty. I wash it if I see that he touches his nose. I wash it. And like, so she was washing his hands probably over a hundred times a day. So the boy didn't have OCD. The mom was having her own issues and was, you know, having behavior that was impacting her child. And that's a very extreme example, but I've seen it in moderate sort of ways. And I've seen it with myself too, where we have our own anxiety themes and to reduce our own anxiety, we do things that aren't always in the best interest of our kids. Now I do want to say, and I think it's really important to say that anxiety and OCD is highly genetic and that kids have a strong predisposition to get anxiety or OCD and that we don't cause anxiety or OCD, but often because it is genetic We have anxiety or OCD ourselves. We are dealing with it and it's going to impact our parenting. It can impact your child's theme. And so they can sometimes glum onto the same theme. I do see that a lot, 
but it doesn't mean that if they were like adopted and put in a different house, would they have been anxiety free or would they maybe even just had a different theme? So, but we also play a role in growing or shrinking our children's anxiety or OCD based on our behavior. What I have noticed and what I hear a lot of people noticing in my AD parenting community online is when we work on our children's anxiety or OCD, it's almost inevitable if you really do it and you're doing it well, it's almost inevitable that you will work on yourself as well. I was trying to think how to phrase that. So it's a growing process for you and your kids. Like I have grown so much as a human being since being a mom, not just because of my regular parenting and motherhood and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff, but because I've had to dig deep. I've had to, you know, control my anxiety because my kids needed me to, and I didn't want to fake it till I make it. I wanted to really get better. I wanted a model for them, somebody who was not as socially anxious. I wanted to do things. Also, motherhood totally triggered my social anxiety. So there was that, but I could have ignored it. I could have just avoided and lived in a hole. But the more I understood my children's anxiety and the more some of their themes were mirroring back my own themes, which does happen, the more I realized I have to work on myself, like genuinely work on myself. And I have for the last, I would say eight years. Well, since 2015 was like really my turning point in working on myself. So 15 So it's been about five years almost. No, it's been five years. So it's good for you to go on this journey and start working on yourself because we do things. That's about our own anxiety. I'll give you one last example before I wrap up. I have a major choking problem. (laughs) That's So social anxiety, claustrophobia, and choking. There you go. Those are my three like main problems that I would have to say are like my biggest themes. I had emetophobia, the fear of throwing up as well as a kid, but doing so many emetophobia exposures with clients in my practice that that cured me as well as them. <laughs> so that's not long. That's no longer a problem. But with my kids' food, it took me a really long time to not cut up their food in small little pieces. And what am I conveying to them, you know, when they're 11 years old that they can't cut up their own food, you know, that I have to cut it up. And not only do I cut it up, but I cut it up in really tiny pieces. That's really throwing my theme at them. And my son does have an, a choking theme, whether I created that or not. I, I don't know. He has ARFID, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. And currently his main thing is choking. Now it was other things. It was intrusive thoughts. It was like a lot of OCD, like nonsensical stuff about his food or his food was disgusting. I mean, he has, he has had multiple whack-a-mole type of themes around eating, but that's where he is right now. And that's my theme. So I don't know if I gave that to him or not, but me cutting up his food in little tiny pieces, that definitely did not help. And I need to step back and let my kids cut their food as they get older. My nine-year-old, she'll like just whine about it because she's lazy. She's not that lazy, but she's like, I can't do it. But is that because I've been cutting their food for too long? I don't know. And what drove me to do that? Because I didn't want them to choke, right? So being aware of your themes, and it doesn't mean that you have to have a diagnosis, but just being cognizant of the things that make you worried, things that make you nervous. What steps do you take preemptively to make sure that your children are okay that you probably don't need to take? Or how often are we conveying those things? Sometimes I listen to my language and I catch myself, especially with my oldest daughter, where I'm like, be careful or don't do that. Or actually just this morning, I'll give you some examples. My youngest daughter wanted to straighten her hair and 
we unplugged the straightener and I was like, no, just don't touch that. It's very hot. She wasn't even near it. She didn't even need me to say that. My oldest daughter would not cut a bagel because she thought she was going to cut herself. And she's not the most coordinated person in the world. And so I probably have over hovered with her and just been like, be careful. Like, don't put the knife like that or like put it down. And to the point where now that she's older, she'll say, mom, can you cut my bagel? She's 17. And so now like this year I was like, you have to cut your own bagel. I mean, that's ridiculous. And if you cut yourself, you cut yourself. I don't think you will, but you're, when will you learn if I keep doing these things for you? But that's totally my bad. That, that is my fault because I hovered around knives and made it a thing. So it's like bag on Natasha podcast episode. <laughs> I like to be very transparent and all like the mistakes that I'm making, taking one for the team so that you can see that, you know, we all make mistakes. But I want you to look at your stuff because we all have stuff. No one's Mother Teresa. Look at your stuff and look at how it's impacting your kids. And it's not to blame you or shame you. It's like there's things that we can do, things that we can do to help our kids that don't depend on them. Because a lot of times our kids don't want to work on themselves, but there's things that we can do to make a difference. Okay, well, I hope that you are finding my podcast episodes helpful. If you are, please hit a star to rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you can leave a comment about how the show benefits you, I greatly appreciate that because that really does go a long way in helping the show. It helps other parents know there's some benefit and some support in listening to this podcast. And to show my support, I wanted to end my show reading one of them. So I want to thank Lost Mom of Four. I'm Lost Mom of Three, so hello there. Perfect mix of warmth and knowledge. I am a child and adolescent therapist who stumbled across Natasha's YouTube channel and subsequently looked for this podcast. I listen to these podcasts in the car and it feels as though I'm taking continuing education classes as I drive. She is the perfect mix of warmth and knowledge, making the listener feel confident in their ability to implement the strategies she offers. I've started recommending her content to my clients and I've begun adopting her language and speaking to my clients myself. Thank you, Natasha, for sharing your expertise with parents and therapists in such an easy to understand way. Well, thank you for taking the time to leave a review. And I really appreciate that you feel that I'm a perfect mix of warmth and knowledge. That's my goal. And I am happy to hear that I am succeeding. So maybe if you leave a review, I'll be reading your review next time. So don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.